moment in the honor of the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. probably heard this passage before. It's a wonderful passage where people are bringing children to Jesus to get in on this kingdom thing. It says this in Mark 10, and they being um, parents were bringing children to him that Jesus might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was, note this word, indignant. And said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them and laying his hands on them. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated at this time. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? I am, as you might be able to tell, getting over a sickness. I've gotten like a sickness two different weeks in a row. Um, And it's pretty cool because I actually didn't have a voice like the past like four days. And it wasn't until Saturday when I could talk again. And I know some of you have the same thing as well. And so I'm just thankful I can talk today and to sing. So um, it reminded me of even in being able to talk, right, having our voice, how much of a how much of a blessing that is that we often take for granted. And so God is good, not just in the ways that we often realize he is, but in the ways that we often forget that he is. Amen? So to start this morning, I'm going to put a a quote up on the screen for you. Uh, It's a wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis, who is probably known as maybe the most influential Christian writer uh, of the 20th century. And he says this, he says, Children are not a distraction from more important work. They are the most important work. Think about that for a second. And what's really cool about that phrase, and maybe my favorite part of it, is um, that C.S. Lewis, who wrote this and who is considered to be one of the most brilliant Christian minds of the 20th century, never had kids of his own. And so though I'm often a gushing parent because I have two little girls I love more than anything, and so obviously I have an elevated view of children, this is a guy who never even had kids. He's not just a gushing parent saying this. He's just a man who's a part of God's kingdom and the church who's looking at children and saying they're not only the future, but they're the ones that we are consistently to be caring for. And so I'm excited today to preach a sermon entitled Loving our kids, and I say loving our kids because whether or not you have kids or not, if you're a part of our church community, you have kids because our church has kids. And we as Christians are called to be about the next generation and called to care for our children. And we're preaching this sermon as the last sermon in our series entitled uh, Real Family. And I've just enjoyed this series because we've been talking about relationships and marriage and church and unity and humility and all these different kinds of things. But today we end this series by talking about our most precious little children and how valuable they are in our community. And I think this is an important sermon because I think often our culture has uh, two incorrect views on children. Okay, And so here's the two views. The first one is a lot of times in our world we see kids as a burden. Maybe you've noticed this, right? 
Um, I couldn't help but just be amazed that as I was working on this sermon this week, the, the news uh, so much centered around the idea of abortion. Raise your hand if you heard some of those stories or you heard about all the drama and the fighting. And so it's funny, if, if anything shows the epitome of how we often just see kids as a burden, it's abortion. It's like we don't want to deal with it. We're not ready for it. It's, we we want to abort the child because it gets in the way of something else that we want to do with our life. We're not ready for the so-called inconvenience. And so the reason ultimately why we as Christians do not believe in abortion and why we believe that every person has the right to life is because God loves children, right? And because God loves life and because all life is God's life. And But ultimately because kids are not a burden but they're a blessing as we're going to see this morning. Kids are often seen maybe as a distraction from our jobs or they're overlooked or I've got dreams in life or I want to travel and kids get in the way of that. So I don't want to have kids yet because I'm not ready because I still want to go to like Cancun and things like that. And I'm not going to lie, man, when you have kids, it does change how you travel. If you're a parent, you know, like, we're trying to figure out a vacation this year and we can't figure anything out because we have a one-year-old and a three-year-old and they don't like the beach, right? And so I'm in a, I'm in a tough spot, right? But uh, I saw this article, and I thought it was, and this is a true article. It's not, I'm not making this up. There was an article I saw online. It was five reasons you should not have kids today, according to science. Okay, you want to hear the five reasons? One is overpopulation, right? Which is interesting because, like, all of us contribute to overpopulation. Every human does to some degree, right? But they say you shouldn't have kids today because of overpopulation. Number two, they cost money, which is true, right? Number three, because marriages suffer after kids, Number four, it hurts the mother's career. And number five, it contributes to climate change. Okay, so that was the five reasons, according to science, for why we should stop having kids. And I don't actually have the exact data. I think, but I saw on Twitter this morning there was an article um, on the New York Times that just came out. And this was crazy. Um, and so you have to check this for me, right? But if you go on Twitter, you can probably see it. But New York Times had an article, and I think what it said was that in America this past year, we had our lowest birth rate in 32 years. We are lowest birth rate. And so people are foregoing the reality of having children. So that's the first improper view is that kids are a burden. But here's number two. We see kids as idols. And I think maybe this one's a little bit more common in the church, right? It may be the one that we're more prone to often. Our whole world revolves around the kids and their activities. Our marriage revolves around the kids. We often have no self-worth or identity outside of our kids. Our happiness is, is wrapped up in the happiness of our kids. And though I understand that to some degree, ultimately we want our happiness to be wrapped up in our love for the Lord and our relationship with him. And so everything revolves around kids and their activities and their happiness and their entertainment. And yet if you're a parent like me, what you come to find is kids are never entertained enough, right? They're never full enough. They always want more food, right? And so the reality is, is that even our kids have limits, and we have limits to the degree in which we provide those things for them. And yet what I think God has for us today in this passage and in other passages we're going to be studying, we're going to be all over the scriptures this morning, is the reality that God has a life-giving and a world-changing plan for how all of us in the church can approach kids. And I'm going to break up this sermon so it helps everybody. Uh, the first half, I'm going to be talking to parents. So if you're a parent here this morning, we're going to talk about biblically what our role is in the lives of our children. And the second half of the sermon, I'm going to be talking to everybody in this room and how as being a Christian and a part of the kingdom, what our role is in the lives of the children in our lives. And so if you have your Bible, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to give you a moment to turn there because it's probably going to take you about 10 minutes. So I'm going to throw that out there now. But I'm going to talk to the parents first here really quick. 
Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 7 is going to be our first passage that we're going to look at here in the sermon. And it's funny, I remember when I first had kids, um, (laughs) I felt overwhelmed um, because, as you know, kids don't come with like a job description or a manual. (laughs) And I think so often in in life we, we struggle with things because we don't really know our responsibility and what we're supposed to be doing. And so what I want to provide for you today as a parent is just three simple words of which you can root your parenting in. And if you can do these three things in the life of your child, you're loving them and you're glorifying God with them. It doesn't have to be complicated. And in fact, I would argue that God's word simplifies it for us here. But the first thing we see in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 7, is that parents disciple their children. That's our first role. So we see this in Deuteronomy 6. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And then Proverbs 22, 6, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it. It says, to train up a child in the way that he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so our first priority as parents, and I think we we forget this, right? Because our culture doesn't train us to do this, right? Um, Our first priority is that we must disciple our children. We must teach them spiritual truth. And as a parent, I just want to say that your main job as a parent is to really simply to get your kids to Jesus. And I can't tell you how many times we, we spend all of our time doing all these different things and we don't realize that really a relationship with Jesus is a key that unlocks all the doors in life. And let me tell you why this is comforting, that that your main job is to disciple your children and to get them to Jesus. This is very comforting because, number one, it's Jesus who is perfect. Because if you're a parent, here's what you know. There is nothing like having a child to show you how bad of a person you are. Amen? Isn't that true? Right? I mean, I knew I was sinful. I knew I had issues. But I had no idea the depth of my selfishness and my laziness, right? Am I just, I don't want to do it-ness, right, when we had kids. And it's just so funny because, like, with kids, I just, I knew it was a lot of work, but I didn't know it was, like, nonstop. Like, they, they never stop pooping when they're little, right, you know? And when they get older, they, they never stop making bad decisions. They, they never stop having problems. It's this constant, nonstop season, and I've got two little kids, and I'm just so much more tired than I used to be, like, constantly, And it kind of, in those moments of all the work, it kind of reveals my sin and my flesh and my selfishness. And I I can tell constantly that I'm not being the kind of parent that I need to be. And yet, when we take our kids to Jesus, like the kids are coming to Jesus right here, we say, listen, mommy and daddy can't always heal you. We can't always give you everything you need, but Jesus can. And even in this moment, as the parents are bringing their children to Jesus, they're admitting that, like, this guy can give you something that I could never get you. And so as parents, we can, in the gospel, raise our kids knowing, listen, I I do have issues. And you're going to look back on your life, and I'm going to be the source of some of your problems, you know? And and, and I'm going to not have done everything that I could have, but I never told you that I was the perfect one. I always told you that was Jesus. See, they need perfection, but they can't find that in you. And so as parents, we we stop fronting and faking it like we have all the answers. And we give them to Jesus and his glorious and mysterious gospel. But the number two, we give them to Jesus because Jesus is eternal. And his kingdom is eternal. If they have the church family, 
whatever happens to our family, they will always have a family. And if they're in the church, they'll always have spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. And if they're in the church gathered with God's people, they'll always have people that are supporting them. And so we disciple our children in the ways of Jesus. And if you're new to church, what it means to disciple is simply teach somebody the ways of Jesus in all ways for for their good and for God's glory of continuously calling them into more obedience in God's great commandment, which is to love, and his great commission, which is to reach people and ultimately to glorify God. And as parents, we are the primary disciplers of our children. And so the church is not the primary discipler of our children. We are the primary discipler of our children. And the local church comes alongside us to help us and support us through maybe ministries or programs or other people to support us in that endeavor But we as parents are always setting the standard for spirituality in our children's lives. I have a picture up here, which is uh, pretty cool. This is, we just finished our community group for this past semester, and it was a wonderful group. And what's really cool is everybody in this picture, like none of us knew each other five months ago. We had a lot of new people to the church. And so we had our last group, and what was interesting was we, uh, we did our group signups last semester, and as Pastor James can attest, we, we got way more people that signed up than we were ready for. And so at the last minute, we were creating new groups, and we weren't going to host a group, but then we had to host a group because we had so many people. And we didn't really plan it out perfect because we didn't really check how many kids were going to be in our group. And this is a group that's in our house, no shoot. This ain't at the church. It's at my house, right? And we ended up having, I think, th- at least 13, but in some weeks, 14 kids at our house in our community group. We had like eight to 10 adults and we had like 15 kids. It was incredible. It was crazy. But the coolest thing about it was that our kids probably enjoyed the group more than us. They were always, okay, well, when is group? They're wanting to go and see their friends. And I think it's a beautiful image of discipleship because as it says in Deuteronomy 6, it says, you shall talk of these commandments when you sit at your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. He's, he's just saying, wherever you go, Take them with you on your journey. And so really as a parent, all that we ever really need to do is to make sure that we're pursuing the Lord and that we're bringing our children with us on that journey. And so we want to disciple our children. But number two is the fun one, right? Parents discipline their children. Look at Proverbs 13, verse 24. If you're taking notes, write this one down. Proverbs 13, 24. You've probably heard this. A lot of times it's used in a joke, but it's a real verse, right? Proverbs 13, 24. It'll be up on the screen as well. It says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who what? Loves him, is diligent to discipline him. And then from the other perspective of a child in Colossians 3.20, it says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I think as parents, this one can be a hard one because we just love our little kids so much, you know. And we love them even when they're teenagers and they're, they're disobeying us and not doing what we ask them to do. And yet we have to be clear that one of our roles as parents is that we are to discipline our children. And so discipleship is teaching them spiritual truth. And discipline is um, allowing them to go through certain moments of difficulty or at times, um, you know, grounding them or whatever we have to do or teaching them that bad behavior is not acceptable. And I think the, the way that we kind of see this Um, And the way that we live this out is we have to remember that we don't live for the approval of our kids, but the good of our kids. And this has been one of the hardest things, I think, for me as a parent, because, like, my goal is I just want to have a great relationship with both of my daughters, and I want them to love me. I'm like, well, they're not going to love me if I spank them, you know. They're not going to love me if I ground them, you know. 
and they're not going to love me if I don't let them watch Wheels in the Bus every time they ask to watch Wheels in the Bus, which is like every day, 24-7, right? They're not going to love me, but I have to always be reminded that, that I'm not seeking approval from my kids because that would be using them. That I want them to love me, but ultimately I want their good more than I want them to even in a moment be happy with me. And so as parents, we, we kind of take on their disapproval at moments for their good. And so we discipline them, but we always discipline in love. And this is what's important. So often we're tempted to discipline in frustration, and that's never a good thing, right? Because when we discipline in frustration, we're not really maturing them. We're just punishing them for bad behavior. And so we always want to make sure, even though we have to be firm and, and maybe, maybe use a raised tone of voice or maybe even spank them at times or whatever you want to do, whatever you're calling to do is in life. Uh, we're spankers. I know not everyone is a spanker kind of family. We always want to do it in love because the aim is reconciliation. The aim is, is they would know the way and not just they would feel bad about what they did. And I think when it comes to discipline, what we see is that discipline is not just punishing, but it is allowing difficulty for the sake of maturity. Write that down if you're taking notes. And man, that doesn't just apply to kids. That applies to everything. Anybody that we lead, anybody that we love. So often discipline is just punishment. But, but it says in, in Christ, or Romans, it says there is no condemnation for those in Christ. So God doesn't punish us, but he does discipline us at times. And so what that means is God allows difficulty in your life not to punish you or not to, to harm you, but ultimately to mature you. And so we, we echo that in the way that we raise our kids and in the ways that we love them. I think we must remember also that we can also make our kids' lives too easy sometimes, even to their detriment. I heard a joke that said that life is one long journey of realizing your childhood wasn't that bad after all, right? And so... Uh, if you're a parent in this room, in the middle of raising kids and disciplining them, just know your day of vindication is coming, right? They're going to realize how hard jobs are one day, and they're going to realize um, how much it stinks to pay a mortgage, and they're going to be like, man, I should have just done the dishes, you know, like it wasn't that bad after all. So parents discipline their children. This is the last one and my favorite one. Parents delight in their children. In Psalm 127, verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Kids are a reward, and a reward is to be delighted in and enjoyed. Colossians 3.21, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And so going back to the discipline thing, it's like we can be too hard, and we don't want to discourage them. We don't want to just um, rob their um, happiness in life. We, we don't just want to teach them life is hard over and over again, but we want to have a good relationship with them. And we just need to delight in our children. Part of our job description is to enjoy them, to take them to the park and to turn the cell phone off and just to be with them in that moment. Part of our role is just to love them and build a relationship with them and do fun things with them and teach them that even when you mess up, I still love you. I still want to be with you. I still want to have fun with you. And one of the things that's been helpful for me in this season is um, early on when Molly was born, I, I learned that um, Molly's my three-year-old now, but whenever she was born, I was always wanting to cuddle her. But she wasn't a cuddly kid, you know. Did you ever have a kid that wasn't cuddly enough and it kind of disappointed you and your parent raised your hand? I, I hear that quite often. They're like, oh, I just want to cuddle you. And they're like, get off me, you know. They don't want to be cuddled. That's, I, want to, I want to roll on the ground and eat dirt. I don't want to cuddle, you know. Like, please stop, please stop trying to cuddle me. And, and I just had to learn her love language, as they say, right? And what's been so cool recently is, is I figured out what it is for Molly, and it probably it is like this for most kids. 
she feels so loved by me when I just play with her. They say kids spell love, T-I-M-E, and it's so true. And the most uh, heartwarming, probably like the highlight of all of my parenting has been a few times recently we've been playing at the park together. Um, and I, you know, I try to go up on the stuff with her even though I'm getting older and it gets harder, you know. Or I play house with her and she has this closet and we play house together. And uh, randomly, whenever we're playing together, she'll just say, Daddy, I love you. Out of nowhere. And it's the sweetest thing in the world. And so for her in this stage of life, it's not really cuddling that, that kind of displays her, her love. But ultimately what it is is spending time with her. And so as parents, we've always got to be mindful as our kids grow older and go through different seasons, always be realizing that their love language is, is changing. And so maybe when you become older, maybe a love language is like babysitting the grandkids or whatever it is, right? Love language is letting them go out for a date night or when they're in college, it's just being there to support them or whatever they need. And I'll tell you this also, what's great about being a parent is just constantly encouraging them. We all need more encouragers in our life. And so I think that never goes out of season in your child's life, unless maybe they're 15 and they don't want to hear anything from you. But that's a different story, right? Um, that season you just pray, I think. That's all you do there. It's just spiritual warfare. But parents delight in their children. But let's go back to Mark chapter 10. And let's like talk about kids now from a more general point of view in terms of the church. Mark chapter 10. It says, and they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples, disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was, get this word, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And I know what our tendency is here in this passage whenever we read this. And I think we have to be careful of this, especially in the Gospels. We, we read about the disciples or we read about the Pharisees and we think, stupid disciples, stupid Pharisees, they're such bad people. And if I had been there, I would have totally got what Jesus was saying, you know. But they're always doing like the wrong stuff. And so we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they would do that, right? But you got to put yourself in the context and, and not just over, oversimplify this. Okay, these are children that are coming to Jesus. These are normal children. These were not special children or better children, okay? And so let me kind of give you a little bit of context, right? So they're bringing children to Jesus, and their noses are running nonstop, and they're spreading sickness, right? They're bringing children to Jesus, and as the mom's carrying one of them, the kid starts peeing everywhere, okay? They're bringing children to Jesus, and they're whining, and they're complaining. And so they're bringing a four-year-old, and he's like throwing a temper tantrum the whole time, right? These are real children. These are not special children, okay? A parent's bringing a 14-year-old, and they're just like, you know, I don't want to be here, you know? I don't want to be here, you know? Why are we here, you know? I want to be back doing other stuff. You know, I want to go to this, this, like, guy in a white robe, you know? What am I doing here, you know? These are children that are coming to Jesus, and so we just write off the disciples, but, like, can you kind of blame them for being like, man, I just don't think these people fit with, like, God on earth. <laughs> like, okay, this is serious stuff. He's giving amazing teaching. He's healing people. He's talking about the kingdom of God, right? And, and that kid won't stop whining. And so these are kids coming to Jesus, and they're normal kids. All of those things are happening, and so the disciples rebuke them, but we always have to remember 
that dealing with the mess of children is part of ministering to them. In fact, that's why it's service and that's why it's ministry. And I was thinking about this this week. I was reflecting. And, and do this for yourself. Like, remember when you were a kid. Remember when you were six. Maybe if you remember that far back. Or when you were 10 or you were 13 or you were, you know, 25. I don't know, right? Remember when you were a kid. We were difficult. And we weren't easy. And, and it would have been easy to overlook us. I was reflecting on myself. I was blessed to grow up in the church, but I, I was not the kind of kid growing up in the church that like, oh man, that guy's going to eventually grow up and be serious about Jesus. That was not my MO. I remember um, I was put in the kid's choir, and even as eight years old, I hated being in the kid's choir. We still do that some today. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. But I, I distinctly remember being eight years old and thinking kid's choir was lame, just to be very honest, right? And I went to public school, right? So if word got out that I was in the church kid's choir, my life would have been over, Right? And so even as a kid, I was like the kid that was in kids' choir, but I didn't want to do the motions. I didn't want to sing the songs. If you've served in kids, you know what it's like, right? Some kids love it. Our kids are in the back. They don't want to be there, you know. That was me. I didn't like the songs. I didn't like the motions. I wasn't a dancing kind of kid, if you will. I was white, you know. And so, like, I'm not, I'm not really like that. You know, I don't like singing these songs. I remember growing up in church. I didn't like the music because it wasn't my style, I wasn't just going with whatever the church was doing in general. I was, you know, I don't like that kind of style of music. I didn't like preaching when I was growing up because I thought it was boring. I didn't understand what the guy was saying. I was a kid that was always late to Sunday school. I, was, I, I never once in my life was on time to Sunday school. Even if I got here on time, I'd wander around. I'd go to class late. I remember in middle school, the only reason I really went is because I liked the Holy Trinity of middle school, which was girls, basketball, and pizza. Can I get an amen, right? That's the only reason I went, right? I didn't go for, like, the, the sermon, you know. I wasn't, oh, what are we talking about today in, in, in Ephesians? You know, that wasn't me when I was 12 years old. But as I was thinking about it, there was one moment that I reflect on that, that in my opinion, was rock bottom for me. Like, the, the thing that I did, that, like, you ever did something in your childhood and you're like, it kind of terrifies you that you ever did something that bad? Like, I did this one thing one time. It was the most disrespectful thing I ever did in my life. Um, we were in uh, the Lord's Supper. We were having Lord's Supper one day during service, and um, they passed out all the stuff, and I had the bread, and I had the cup. And I was probably, at this point, I was probably 13 years old, so I kind of, I kind of knew what was going on. I knew it was serious, you know, but I was a kid. And so we're sitting there, and I'm sitting next to my friend, and I was just in a probably far too playful mood for, to be taking the Lord's Supper and I saw this window of opportunity when my, they said, that, okay, eat the bread. And my, my friend went to eat the bread, and I was playing around. I can't believe I did this, but I, I, I bumped his arm as he was trying to eat the bread. And I'll never forget it because it was one of the funniest things, though I have since repented. He dropped the bread in the juice, and it splashed on his face, right? And it splashed on his face. And it was one of those moments, maybe you have this at school, where, like, it was so funny. In the middle of Lord's Supper, I just burst out laughing. And at that moment, everybody, rightfully so, like, turned around and looked at me. I mean, it was, it was young and old people looked around. They were like, I can't believe you just did that. And then after the service, rightfully so, a, a lady pulled me aside and she says, you cannot do that. And I just remember that. I just remember where I was at. And it's important to remember that because... Part of ministering to children is going things like that. 
And yet one of the cool things about growing up in the church and having a good experience was through all those things that I did, I never one time felt like the church ever gave up on me. I never felt like they wrote me off or this kid's never going to do anything. He's not going to grow up and really be a Christian. He's not going to love the Lord. He's not going to serve the Lord. I was always welcomed and accepted. I would be corrected. I would be disciplined. But there was grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Man, isn't that what we need when ministering to children? See, here's what I want to proclaim today. That one day our kids will understand the gospel And a big part of that will be because of how we loved them before they understood the gospel. One of these days, our kids will understand the gospel. They will understand the love of Jesus. And a big part of that will be because of how we loved them before they understood it fully. But in all the sacrifice, the kingdom calls us to love kids and to serve the next generation. And so a couple things really quick and then we'll be done. Verses 13 and 14 show us one thing really simply, that the kingdom of God elevates the importance of children. We see this when Jesus says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. If you're new to church and you don't know what the kingdom of God is, that the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus that's coming into the world. It's It's foreshadowing that the perfect world and the perfect heaven that is to come when God makes all things new at the end when Christ returns. The kingdom of God is like the glorious ending, but but partly shown in the world today. And so in the midst of a broken world, think about it like, like the world is messed up and it's broken, and we're in here singing songs to Jesus. We're having a beautiful spiritual experience and we're focusing on God and truth and faith and love in the midst of a broken world. And and that's the kingdom. The kingdom is breaking through when we sing and lift our hands when we hear his word proclaimed. The kingdom is breaking through when when we forgive one another. The kingdom breaks through when we care for each other and serve each other. When we break out of our selfishness and break into godliness by the power of the spirit, the kingdom is made manifest and visible before us. And loving children and caring for them is one of the ways that we show the kingdom of God. Because the gospel says that every outsider is welcome. No matter who you are, where you're from, no matter what your background is, how much money you have, everybody is welcome in the kingdom. And Jesus came to show that because in that day they thought maybe it was just the really religious people or the rich people or maybe a certain ethnicity or kind of person And Jesus was always bringing in the outsider and saying, to these belongs the kingdom of God. And children in that day were were a symbol of the most helpless people in society. And the same is true today. In every generation, kids are the most helpless people. They literally cannot take care of themselves. And so we love them and we serve them and we show the kingdom when we do so. And here's the pivotal battle, church. And this is what every church fights The pivotal battle in loving our kids is to never allow kids to become seen as second-class citizens in the church. Amen? The pivotal defining battle is to never let kids be seen as second-class citizens in the church. That, like, what happens here is the real stuff, you know? This is the real worship, you know? And we kind of have the kids over here in in kids' church, and, and that's kind of a lesser thing. And yet the reason why we do kids' church is simply because their worship is important too. And their understanding of truth is important too. 
And so we have so many wonderful, thankless volunteers that put on Kids Church every single week for our kids. Like right now, the, the kids are learning about Jesus in a language, in a way that they understand. We've come to find that when they sit in here with us and they're five years old, they, they generally don't get it. If you want to bring your kids in here, you're always more than welcome to do that. Um, but we've just found that they don't really understand this yet. And so instead of just kind of making them sit through something that they don't get or they don't understand and saying, well, we're going to do it for us, you know, even though you don't get it, we create an entire kid's service for them. And so we love them and we serve them because their growth is just as important as ours. And we will love them and we will help them do church until the day where they can join us or they can do it on their own. I think also what's important is to create this mindset because I, I know what it's like and you know, I, I have volunteered in a lot of different areas in church when I was growing up. Um, I think there's a tendency to say maybe even when we serve in kids that, like, we don't really get to go to the service. And so it's, like, kind of like an off week. And yet one of the things that God's been laying in my heart is that the church is so much more than just the service. So this is so important. Like, the church is when you love somebody and care for somebody. The church is when you are greeting somebody before service and making sure that they don't feel awkward and that they're welcomed and loved. That whenever you serve in kids, that is just as much a part of being a part of the church and going to church and gathering with the church as listening to the preaching and to the music. And I would argue the preaching and the music are, are moving us towards those things. They're, they're moving us towards service. And so as we do any ministry, whether we're in the band or the, the greet team or the kids or the sound and ministry team or leading a community group, all the different things that we do in service, man, that is the church. That is what the church looks like in action. And so I would just encourage you to always be seeing the kids in our church truly as the least of these. The kids are the ones in our church that they literally, they can't lead their own stuff, right? You can't just have a bunch of eight-year-olds in a room by themselves over there and we're all over here. It doesn't go well, right? Studies show that does not go well, okay? And so we love them and we serve them. And the last thing is in verses 15 through 16. Jesus says, truly I say to you, and just here, this is for you today, wherever you're at. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so the disciples are looking at themselves and what Jesus says is, man, look at these kids. And what we see here is that as we serve children or any least of these kind of person, God disciples us. That when we serve kids, it's not, we're, we're not just grinding through it. We're not just pushing through it. But in those moments, God is discipling us and growing. The same way we listen to a sermon and we get discipled or we go to a community group and we get discipled. When we serve kids and serve the church in general, God is discipling us. Because te kids teach us about God's love for us. We get the perspective of God being the father, being the leader in that moment. <laughs> Man, kids teach you what's really important in life. One of the big benefits to me of, of having kids is more than ever, I feel like I really have a hold on what's important in my life. Kids show you what's important because, you know, they don't care about your work project, you know, and they don't care about your visionary idea, you know, and they don't care if we go on a vacation or not, you know, and they don't care, you know, how nice the house looks, right? Kids are all about relationships and fun. And all of us uptight adults, man, we could use some of that, couldn't we? A little fun, a little remembrance that life is about relationships and people. 
Kids also teach us and remind us that life doesn't revolve around our stage of life. I have a young family, and so so often I can just be sucked into thinking the whole world is just young families, and there's so many people, whether they're elderly or they're children, that are living completely different realities than them. It makes me more compassionate to them. But ultimately what Jesus means when he says to receive the kingdom of God like a child. Someone asked once, well, what, what does that mean, right? There's a lot of different things that, that that can mean. But the main thing that it means is that we receive the kingdom. We don't earn it and we don't create it. You see, kids, they, they know they're helpless. They just receive it. Kids don't come to Jesus with their ideas for saving the world. They just trust that he's the one that's going to be able to do that. When kids are hungry, their first impression is, let me go make something, you know? They're like, Daddy, go make me something, right? Kids come to their parents when they're little for everything, for everything. And they don't only come to their, their parents for everything, but they 100% believe that you will provide for them. And see, the problem here with the disciples is they thought they were maybe more um, in line with the kingdom of God, right? And kids are kind of these helpless people over here, right? And so, like, we're a part of this thing, but kids aren't. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, you're coming with too much of your own agenda and too much of your own self-worth. I want to do the work. I want to give you everything, and I want to do this through you. And so Jesus is showing the disciples that, man, the same way that kids come with nothing to offer, with all this baggage... Peter, James, and John, so do you, but you miss it. And if you see it, then I'll heal it. And so we receive the kingdom in faith and in trust. And so as we draw to a close this morning, I just want to leave you with a couple things. And the first one is this, is that the next generation is always a current priority for us. The next generation is always a current priority in the church. Our kids' ministry exists so they can be blessed too. And I just want to say we have so many faithful volunteers that serve week in and week out with our kids uh, so faithfully. And yet because so many of you have been so faithful, our kids' ministry is literally the, the fastest growing group in our church. And so if you are looking for a place to serve, there's nothing more godly and there's no greater need right now, even this season of our church, to help us in serving in our kids' ministry. And you can do that by going online to wideoakchurch.net. But in all things, we want to be remembering the next generation. Because somewhere along the way, somebody helped us understand Jesus. Whether it be a friend or a preacher or a church or a community. And we want to do the same for our children. And before I leave you today, I just want to remind you this. Every person in this room. That it is no small thing that God chose to call us his children. It's very humbling when you're an adult to begin to see yourself like a child, and yet that is what it looks like to follow the Lord. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are I love that because everything is rooted in, man, like we're children of God and look how amazing God is. Right? What kind of love that he would call us his children. And so my, my prayer for all of us as parents is that our kids would grow up saying, man, I was so lucky to have them as my parent. It wasn't easy and, and they weren't perfect, but they gave me everything they had and they gave me Jesus most importantly.
And it's also my prayer that all of our kids in this church would say, man, I was so blessed to grow up at White Oak. I was so blessed to be around those adults. I know now today, when we see the kids, everyone's going to be super nice and embracing of all of our kids as they come in later. But that's how it should be every Sunday. Let's love our children. May we seek to love our kids the way our Heavenly Father has loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. And Lord, we just confess right now that we have so much love to offer these children, but ultimately because you first loved us. God, you have lavished your love on us. And every time we sin, you pick us back up. And every time we're anxious and worried about our life, you remind us that you're with us and that you have a plan and that everything's okay. That when we're worried, you speak a comforting voice to us and say, man, I'm, I'm with you. I've always been with you. When life is overwhelming and we don't know where to go, you are that still small voice inside of us that keeps us going. God, help us to mature in your love that we can be that voice for others, that you can speak through us. Lord, thank you for your love, but thank you also for the opportunity to love. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, and we pray specifically for our children that you would raise them up to be world changers. Father, some group of kids has to grow up and change the world, and and why couldn't it be ours? So, Lord, we just pray that you would bless them right now, whether they're on the playground or making a craft. Holy Spirit, would you begin to fill them and give them visions of what it could look like for them to glorify you with their life. I pray all this in the perfect name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.